gracious hosts, unique lodging, and tasty cuisine. New Mexico bed and breakfasts are New Mexico true. Our innkeepers are as special as New Mexico, and we're sharing their stories. Read about them and plan your trip at nmbba.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio. Uh, every second Thursday, we get to go to New Mexico and find out what to see, what to do, and more importantly, where to stay when you go to play in the land of enchantment. Today, we're going to be talking about Casitas de Gila guest houses out in the Gila Wilderness area, which is in southwest New Mexico near Silver City. We're also going to go up to Shama, New Mexico, and talk about the Victorian. Um, and so that's more of an inn. And of course, Casitas de Gila, they're more guest houses. And um, both of them are members of the New Mexico Bed and Breakfast Association. This is a great website to go to. You can see all these amazing places to stay. So you can go to nmbba.org and it's linked up in the show notes. Um, but we get to talk with them every second Thursday, which we love. So we get to get the scoop on New Mexico and innkeepers know it all. Isn't that true, Becky? Welcome back to the show, Becky. Hi, how are you, Lisa? Good, yes. good. We know we know everything. We are the concierges for our area. That's true. It's very yeah. true. It's like if I need to go on a specific hike because, hey, maybe I've got a bad knee, you'd know which one to do off of your property out in the Gila's. Absolutely. Whatever your interests are, we can we can direct you to the best place for it. That's, awesome. that's, that's what we do best um, because we're owner operators and we're here and we interact with our guests. And by the way, um, I want to just give a shout out to the new website for the New Mexico Bed and Breakfast Association. It's a beautiful site. Yeah, thank it really you. gives you a good you know, view of what each bed and breakfast is, but you also have a good blog on there. So it keeps people up to date on what they can experience as well, yeah. which is really cool. So do you want to give everyone your website so people know where to go for Casitas de Gila? Our website is Casitas de Gila and Gila is spelled with a G dot com. Um, and um, like, like we said, we're down here near Civil City in southwest New Mexico. So you've got to be near the Gila River. We are, we are 15 minutes from the Gila River, and we sit right on Bear Creek. Oh, wow. Wow. So, so we, have, we have water all the time. Well, I'm closer to the Gila River than you are because it's my background. I love your area yeah, because there's so much familiar. Experience. Yeah, yeah. And that was taken in um, summer, too, um, a few years yes. ago. So yes. obviously, Very I need great. to go back, too. But we've got John and Veronica here. Welcome to the show. How are you? We're pretty good. We're thank we're honored to be asked to be part of this show. We're excited. You know, when uh, we started doing the show, your names came up immediately of we've got to cover trauma because you've got such a unique uh, attractions for people, one of them being the railroad. And so we definitely want to talk about that, um, historic trains. I know a lot of our audience uh, enjoys that. Um, but I want to go to you, Veronica. Tell us a little bit about the Victorian and, and the inn itself. Okay, uh, we have a Victorian home, and uh, it was built in 1880, the same year that the railroad started operating here in Chama. It's not on the main highway. It's one half block up on the next street, Maple Avenue. So it's got a nice, quiet, beautiful... Uh, feel about it but still only about a five minute walk to the depot of the railroad oh wow uh we've got some beautiful wildflowers out there we just finished having a big poppy blossom we have six uh individual rooms and uh, we cook uh 
breakfast in the morning uh, in our Victorian dining room. Um, we offer lots of other things to do other than the railroad that include hikes and photography. And there's a lot of animals here and there's horseback riding and, and fly fishing. Um, it, it's a great place to be if you want some fresh air at a high altitude. Yeah, because you're really at the top of the state of New Mexico, right? Um, so right. Kind of at, at the at the tail end of the San Juan Mountains, right? Right, right. Uh, if, if you go to the top of Coombers Pass, the elevation there is 10,012 feet. Mm -hmm. uh, here in Chama, we're a little shy of 8,000. What's the specific? About 7,800 here in Chama. And we are just about nine miles south of the Colorado border. So okay. environmentally, it's more like mountainous Colorado than it is like like down near where Becky is in the yeah. right. But but that's really neat because I, the San Juan Mountains are spectacular. I mean, they really are. I mean, just beautiful. Um, I think I'd like to take the train next time I experience the mountains instead of driving the mountains. I did that million dollar highway thing. Uh -uh. I don't need to do that. I think I'll come stay at your inn instead and be a little bit more relaxed. That that drive, I I, I don't I don't know. It goes through the San Juan Mountains a little bit, but I don't know where it is. According to Chama, I have to look at the map now. But I think we were on the at more. We ended up more on the Durango side. So where? How close yeah. are you to Durango? We're about well. What we like to say about Chama, New Mexico, is that it's not at the end of the earth, but on a clear day you can see it from here. <laughs> so we are a hundred miles north of Santa Fe, New Mexico. We're about a hundred miles east of Durango, Colorado. We're about 100 miles west of Taos, New Mexico, and we're about 80 miles south of Alamosa, Colorado. And it's wow. pretty remote. The nearest stoplight is 50 miles away, and it's in a different state. See, so we've been real close to you, but obviously we took the wrong turn. You can blame me. I'm the driver and not very <laughs> good at navigating. Um, but, but really, yeah, you know, so that's really, you're easy to get to in that you're, you're yeah. so close to all these, you know, hubs. So that's really good for people to know about Chama. But um, Becky, for you, you're also at the tail end of some mountains, I believe. We are at the tail end of um, the, the Rockies, basically the Rocky Mountains. The range near us is the Mugion Range and the, with the Pinos Altos Range just below it. So our tallest mountain down here is about 12,000 feet, Mugion Baldy. Um, and wow. There's a lot of lot of hiking that can be done in the Gila forest and wilderness down here. So we are um, really, really different from Chama. I, I would call us high desert. Um, yeah. We have the mountains and we, and we have the forest, but the rest of our landscape is um, a little more, it's not desert, it would be high desert because we have lots of pinyons and junipers and mesquites. So it's a very beautiful landscape down mm -hmm. here. And very different from what you find in Chama. And, you know, that's one of the really great things about the New Mexico Bed and Breakfast Association is the diversity of our members because they're scattered around the state. Yeah, and, and your area, your Four Seasons, because I've been out in the Gila area and even like near the Gila cliff dwellings in fall and you have fall colors. We do. Which people don't yeah. expect in a high desert, but you do. That's right, we do. And generally peaking in late October, early November down here, except oh. in the higher elevations. It'll be earlier. But mm -hmm. yeah, 
and we have mild, very mild winters. We get a, a few snowfalls, generally if an inch or two, and then it's gone. Mm. So four seasons for you. Uh, Veronica, what about up in Jama? Are you four seasons for people to come oh, and visit? Yes. And right now we're experiencing our lovely uh, end of spring and summer gets nice and cool cool here I mean it's never really really very hot but you know oh, wow. nice and sunny and cool but then in the fall our uh, biggest busiest season is September and October because people come here to see the aspen trees okay. and uh, the train goes in and out of Colorado New Mexico 11 times so you see a complete alpine forest with beautiful gold leaves and then in November, uh, it gets to be uh, cold, but not snowy. It really starts snowing probably after Christmas, maybe a little bit before Christmas. But what we have here is really good cross-country skiing. Up on Coombers Pass, okay. they do have some groomed trails. Uh, people can do freeform uh, cross-country skiing. And then in February... There's a big race called the Chama Chili Classic. So people come up here to be in this um, uh, ski race and they wear costumes and it's really oh, fun. Mostly just a lot of fun. And then we yeah. have a balloon festival also in January, I believe. So all winter long, it's mostly winter sports, um, snow, snow skiing, snowmobiling, snowmobiling. cross-country skiing, oh, mostly. Okay. snowshoeing, snowshoeing, snowshoeing. Yeah. And, it, and unlike Becky, we get a lot of snow. <laughs> we get a lot of snow. And the top of Cumbries this year, when we went, when they went to clear the railroad, it was about 10 feet of snow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, so does the railroad stop during the snow time? I mean, it, yeah, the railroad but... only runs from Memorial Day weekend till the end of the third week of October, which is once the leaves are gone off the trees, then mostly the tourists have departed. Okay. But it is it is dramatic in the fall. In fact, on the railroad, we used to call it the gold rush because all of the aspens turn gold and and oh, wow. we are besieged with with leaf peepers. So it, it's it's beautiful, beautiful country. So let's talk a little bit about the trains because you're also by Durango, and I believe Durango has a train out there. Correct. Um, and so it's it's two separate trains and. Um, this is a historic train, like what you're saying, being built in 1880, right? And then this is when the train is started. So because this is, I mean, trains, rail history is really what made America become like a united country in a way. Let's not talk politics, but trains did it. I mean, even right. Tombstone, Arizona would not be Tombstone, Arizona. I mean, they were serving oysters and things from San Francisco in a tent city, a mining camp in teeny Tombstone because of the trains. And if it wasn't for trains, that wouldn't happen. What is, what is it, it is. And what is interesting about this railroad in particular is that it really is a time capsule. The, the rails joined in Promontory, Utah in, 19, in 1869. And 11 years later, in 1880, the rails first got to Chama, New Mexico. In the rest of America, the world moved on but in Chama, New Mexico, it's still about like it looked in 1880. So it wow. really gives the tourist an opportunity to step back in time and see the world in a way that is not possible anywhere else. Mm. So it's kind of like when the golden so spike it, it happened, is, like that that era of yeah, yeah, wow. it, yeah. It's 
it's just shortly after the golden, 11 years after the golden spike. Wow. Is when the railroad got here and then it continued as a business up till uh, 1968. And then the railroad got permission to scrap the line and, and people from both states got together and say, no, this little piece of railroad is way too cool to let it disappear. Mm. And so the states bought it jointly in 1970 and we uh, operated it ever since. And it's That's still fantastic. really a time capsule of just about the turn of the century. So it's just 120 to 140 years ago is what it's like around here. That's amazing because I think when you were saying how railroads kind of got scrapped like that, that happened in a Nevada up in Ely, Nevada. And so they, they just said, that's it, we're saving this. And if it wasn't for the people who said, hey, we're saving this, that piece of history would be gone. You know, it's, um, and, and for, you know, for us to understand what times were like, I mean, that's the importance of it. And I, I wanted to go, where, where was the destination for the train in Shama? Where, where were the main points that it was heading Just real to? briefly, when, when the railroad was originally built, uh, William Jackson Palmer, who was Civil War general, mm -hmm. his intent was to build a railroad to Mexico City. He got thwarted in that oh. and turned west into the mountains. And then the goal was to reach the gold fields that were near oh. Telluride and Silverton and Uray. Okay. And so he built west. The train arrived in Chama in 1880, the last day of the year, and arrived in Silverton in 1882. So mining boomed and the railroad boomed. It was like a license to print money. And wow. then in 1893, they repealed the Sherman Silver Purchase Act. Mining pretty much died, but the railroad survived because there was no other way to get into this countryside unless you walked. So you could either take a train a day and a half, or you could walk about two weeks to get to this wow. area from Denver. So it survived, but it never updated it was it was it was critical it was vital but it wasn't profitable so it mm. just sort of stayed and as i like to kid people it was kind of like most of us feel in our jobs most of our life you're too valuable to get the day off but not valuable enough to get a raise and so oh. it just continued which for us was a blessing because by mm. the time the states finally bought it it was a 100 year old time capsule that's amazing. I want to go. I mean, because it's just it's such a piece of history. Like I said, it's and and the mining part, like when I did that million dollar highway, that that high, it's one of the deadliest mm -hmm. roads in the in the world, I believe. And, well, it's one of them. Well, I, it felt like it to me, but it was all because of of actually being able to transfer transport whatever they were mining. I think that road, that's why, why it was called the million dollar highway was and i think only donkeys were really fitting on there at that time but when they were first doing it um i don't know but all i know is those mountains going through there were was beautiful we went through ure and um and ended up in durango but i should have just taken a lift at durango and just come out your way because you know it would have been cool to, to see chama but well, you were close that i we were oh yeah oh yeah yeah we ended up in in animus and um uh, we went to by Aztec Ruins National Monument, that area mm -hmm. in Shiprock. But oh, yeah, well, that's we, an interesting part about New mm -hmm. Mexico in general. And this is true down where Becky is and true up here is that this has got a really deep history that goes well beyond white contact. 
you know, uh, mm-hmm. I am now president of a, of a scenic byway here, tracks oh, across okay. borders byway. And it is the path that the that the indigenous people, the Hickoria and the Utes uh, used for thousands of years before before the Spanish ever got to New Mexico. Exactly. This, it was before pre the Golden Roads. You know what I mean? The Roy, And it was like mm-hmm. pre Royal Roads, the Golden Roads, the seven cities of gold and, and all of that. These tracks are amazing. And, and de- uh, I can say, Becky, over in your area, uh, you've got the Gila Cliff Dwellings and, and is it? The Mogollon, am I saying this right yet? Yes. yes. So mm-hmm. Before I just let you, that's like, I know you have mountains out there. You get to say it. But yeah, the, the Mogollon, uh, well, yeah, but you've got cliff dwellings that you can actually go inside, yeah. which is um, a very rare thing to be able to do. Yes. And, and our general feeling is come and see them soon, because I don't think they'll always be open to the public. They, you I know, agree. It's a lot of traffic and they take a lot of wear, but our cliff dwellings are wonderful. There's even in them, there's um, a a storage bin area that still has corn cobs in it from from when the um, Mimbreno Indians were here. And, you know, there's um, there's a lot of of history, but there's a lot of mystery as well um, about the cliff dwellings. Um, They were seem to be only occupied for a very short period of time. And a lot of work went into them for a short occupancy and then the people vanished again. So there's a lot of mystery and there's there's other sites. On, along the trail of the mountain spirits in the Mimbrace Valley, there is um, a, an, a historic site. The Mimbrace Cultural Heritage Museum has a site there where you can get the history of the Mimbrace people. And um, there's actually an archeological site there that's being worked on. So there's there's wow. a lot of history, you know, and then you, you move up to a little more modern times and you've got Geronimo and Magna Coloradus and the Apaches and all of that history as well in the area. And this, where we are now, um, the right where we are now at the Casitas, this area was supposed to have been given to the Apaches. And uh, this was in the, in the uh, late 1800s. And then um, gold and silver were discovered in the area. And that was the end of that. They got land in Arizona instead. And mining commenced here. So lots and lots of history here. That's why I think it's interesting. I think they're connected to this. A lot of people that also disappeared and they're up in the Tonto uh, National Monument area. It's it's not far from you. So I think they moved around a lot. And I I know I met John in Silver City and I'm sorry, I cannot remember his last name off the top of my head, but he had some macaw feathers and also shells that had uh, Mother of Pearl. And he's like, yes, it's the trade routes that we had. Yeah. Yes. And this was, this was, uh, you know, these were items that were handed down through families and traded. And he had a macaw feather. I'm like, really, all the way there. Like, tr- I know I've seen it in museums, but you have one. He goes, yes, I do. <laughs> you know? so yeah. Was like, yeah um, and he, he ran the powwows um, out in Silver City area. Um, but that, you know, it's interesting because you also, between you guys, you have um, Aztec ruins and Chaco, which is also mysterious, is all get out. I mean, I don't know, man. I think people came from the sky and landed down there. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think there's a little bit of that going on too, because you have big skies. Look at your sky, Becky. You've got night sky. Um, that's one thing. It's a dark skies. New Mexico is really famous for having dark skies. What's Chama like for dark skies at night? It's got to be pretty brilliant. It's, yeah, it's very, it's very good dark sky country. There is essentially no earth shine 
anywhere near here. As I say, the the nearest stoplight's fifty miles away, and the this nearest, is ideal. The nearest wow. town with more than two stoplights is a hundred miles away. So, um, it's very clear sky. It's high altitude. It's about eight thousand feet. So it one of the challenges here, and that's probably true where you are, Becky, is sometimes it's hard to pick out the constellations because there are so many stars yes. that it's hard to know how to find them. It's, it's, oh. It is dramatic country, particularly for people who live in urban environments and don't realize just exactly how much of that night sky is no longer visible. So. But, but it's really crucial for pollinators and for birds who are migrating to have those dark skies. Right. Mm -hmm. I've really been getting into that. Um, so and people see it when they come to stay with you. Maybe they'll turn their outdoor lights on when they get home. You know? Right. Well, you know, we've had several people come who call themselves birders and they yes. come in spring, late spring to come and see birds and bird migration. Um, but I did want to mention people ask me a lot. We grew up in Denver and we have a family, big family up there and friends. But they asked me, what's it like living in Chama? And um, I said, this house that we operate is a bed and breakfast. And this town is much like living in a movie set. Yeah. Because it is so authentic that when movie companies come here to shoot, they have to do very little to make it look like an authentic old West town. And if people want to see what Chama looks like, the most recent movie that was filmed here is Hostels. And the last four or five minutes of that movie is filmed right down at the train depot and around Chama. And it gives you a really cool idea of, of what it's like here when you come visit and stay at our bed and breakfast. Uh, we cool. also had um, uh, some commercials that were uh, produced by Jason Momoa. He did a summer shoot and he also did a winter shoot uh, based on rugged sort of outdoor gear that he was promoting. Uh, we also did Wyatt Earp here with Kevin Costner. Uh, it was it was a uh, really well, quite a scene. Why didn't you call me? I'll come. Town. I'll come run your in when they're in town. Are you kidding me? Okay, I'll, we'll, I'll, right. I'll, I'll we'll take get, care we'll of Jason and, you, right and you know Kevin Costner. No problem. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll phone you up. You know, this is really amazing because New Mexico as a state has had such film history. In fact, Becky, I think we need to do a show dedicated to this. There's yeah, a whole map yeah. that's it. There's like whole guides on it. You could travel New Mexico just looking at film spots and then things like we were saying Wyatt Earp. Then it gets into where Wyatt Earp really was in the state of New Mexico. Billy the Kid, Billy the Kid hung out in, you know, Becky's backyard, literally. Right. That's right. Well, and, and other people's backyards, too. A lot of people are claiming um, yes. there is history. There is Billy the Kid. History. Billy got around. Yes, he has. He got around. Yes. Did, yeah. did you have anybody, any outlaws in your backyard? Well, uh, there was a gang that that robbed uh, stagecoaches primarily just before the railroad got here that started in Alamosa, Colorado, and basically finally ended up holed up. Uh, down near a place called Amargo over west of Chama. And of course, there was also the Wild Bunch, which operated in the oh, San Juans and right. robbed banks in Telluride, among other places. So and, yeah, and we, we had have, our share, yeah. although, although the West was not nearly as full of gunplay as we might imagine 
from what we see on Hollywood. So what, what we used to say about the railroad and Chama here is that what you get here is the authentic West, not mm -hmm. the Hollywood West, but mostly right. the this right. is what it was like with, and, and that's exciting. One thing I would like to add is one of the things we've enjoyed about running this bed and breakfast is the people who come to bed and breakfasts are the most amazing mm -hmm. group of people. They are they are unique from the people who are going to big hotels, you know, Hiltons and Best Westerns. They and most of them have led such amazing lives. So we have really enjoyed opening up the house to them and watching the interactions that they have with each other mm -hmm. while we're serving and breakfast and and made some marvelous connections that way and and facilitated connections between people who kind of came here for similar reasons but had never known each other before. Yeah, I, I think you're really right. It's um, the authentic traveler and it's an immersive experience. And that's when you travel, you know, you want more than checking in with a thumbprint. <laughs> you know, yeah. really, I mean, I mean, sometimes you want that, but not when you're going out to explore a historic Western town. No, we don't want the, you know, the beam up Scotty. I, I want, I want something authentic and to have those connections. And like we were saying, Becky, um, innkeepers know everything. They, you know, all the gossip in town. I should be coming to you for stories. But, well, we had um, Butch Cassidy hung out um, here. He worked at the WS Ranch up in Alma, which is about an hour north from us. The, the, wow. the story is that he, held, he hung out there in between jobs and worked on the ranch and that while he was he and his gang were working on the ranch there was no rustling going on at all so the cattle rustling stopped completely while he was there which uh -huh. is a great story and um also up in alma the area where he was there's an old cemetery an old western cemetery which is accessible you can go you can go in and, and read the headstones and whatnot for from the late 1800s oh my gosh i want to go it's a wonderful thing. And it's, it's, these are the kinds of things that innkeepers know about because we live here and mm. that a lot of times you're not even going to find in guidebooks. You just won't right. find, you know, I want to go to the cemetery. I, I, I'm one of those weird travelers that, I mean, we, we travel full time, Nancy and I across the country documenting parks and public lands. And then we have this other list of stories that we're, we're gathering for other people that are like, I assign you to this. What is law and order? historic courthouses, graveyards because of family history. And we found, I mean, there were, I've actually learned more about, more stories about people I didn't know were famous. Like we, we America's very first bandstand leader is buried in Easton, Pennsylvania. I didn't even think about who was the first bandstand. Then you start getting into their lives and no matter what, it's a rabbit hole. You shouldn't say that in graveyards, but it's true. You go in a graveyard, you're gonna come out with 20 stories like, who is this person? Oh, she was the first silent film actor. Really? Now I've got to go find out who she was. And she was buried here, here. You know, it's like, it's almost like, how dare you be at their resting space without knowing who they are? So you have this duty of going back and start finding out who these people are. And those graveyards, it's actually very important to visit them and support them. We now look at them as a park space because they're a public space. And because they're, they're in dire need of upkeep and maintenance and funding across the country. It's a very um, 
interesting thing we've we've discovered. So a lot of master garden groups go in and take care of them. And it's it's just everywhere is different. But I want to go to yours, Becky. I want to go there. It's a great little graveyard. It's very interesting mm. to read the headstones. Yeah, that's yeah. that is cool. That is very cool. So we've got outlaw history. We've got train history, we've got Native American, indigenous people history. OK, we've got mining history. There, Can't forget that. There's another piece of history that, oh. that it takes place up here in northern New Mexico, a little south of us. But this is the area of the beginning of the atomic age. Oh, my gosh, that's right. Los oh Alamos, gosh. New Mexico. That's right. Is mm -hmm. where they first figured out and put together the atomic bomb. The Manhattan and Project. So, so once again, you get this amazing juxtaposition. Here you've got, even in the 40s, people who literally, culturally, were living in about the 1700s or 1600s, and maybe even earlier than that, right next to people who were inventing the atomic age. So mm -hmm. there, re there really is this amazing depth of history and cultural experience here. And, and New Mexico has done a wonderful job of keeping that alive. So, you know, I strongly recommend that people come in and explore New Mexico. And, and I recommend that they do it soon. You know, one of the things we hear, particularly for the railroad here, is, well, this has been on my bucket list for years to come and see mm -hmm. this stuff. And our experience is you need to get it off of your bucket list and get it on your bucket list and come yeah. and do it now. Yeah, exactly. Things change, right? Um, I wanted to ask now. on the train when people do the train, because it is a it's, you know, it's it's popular, you know, obviously, and for many reasons. But are there special events? Do they ever do special dinners? Or is it this is exactly how it is every day, except for the scenery changes? It's kind of in a transitional period at the moment. Uh, I have retired now from being president of the railroad. Mm -hmm. But a few years ago, just before COVID hit, we did Saturday night dinner trains and we did some, some uh, theater enactment trains and, and live entertainment on the trains and some of that sort of stuff, as well as a bunch of sort of rail fan stuff where you, you put together freight trains. So instead of just hauling the people in passenger cars, because we've got over a hundred freight cars, we would put together trains that allowed them to see what it looked like when freight was being hauled 75 years ago. Wow. So there's a bunch of that stuff that has, has gone on as well. Wow. So people just have to kind of check and watch what's going on to see what, yeah. you know, be part yeah. of it. I love that you're four seasons too, and that that's a big deal. Um, I wanted to go, Becky, you know, you were talking about the Mogollon um, Mountains and then also the pe the Membrace people and, and that whole, all the different cultures. One thing I wanted to touch on is if people go to the Gila Cliff Dwellings National Monument, I think it's worth going into Silver City, not only to the museum, you've got an awesome museum there, but then there's also the Pottery Museum that is exceptional. I would I would go to Silver City just for that museum, quite honestly. Yeah, we have two museums. The the one with the Mimbrace Pottery is connected with the university, Western New Mexico University, and they renovated um, a few years ago. They have an incredible display of pottery, of Mimbrano pottery there, and it's definitely worth a visit. 
for Silver City history, there's the Silver City Museum. And they, they'll run a show that runs for a few months and then they'll change and they'll focus on something else. And that is a good, um, good overview of what this area was like um, when it was first started, because it was mining. It was mining that started the area. Mm. You got those two things. There's also a third museum um, south of Silver City in Deming, the Deming Luna Mill mm. Race Museum. This is, is a very large museum and it was entirely put together by the community. Just, oh. I mean, it's, it's an incredible place, absolutely incredible place. Um, all things that people that lived in the area found and donated to this museum. They oh. too have a really phenomenal collection of Mimbrace pottery. Um, a little bit frowned upon by the um, university community because it wasn't properly dug and documented, of course, but to it is really amazing to look at, to, to look at the items that they have. They also have some railroad stuff, Harvey Girls, the Harvey Girls. Oh, restaurant. that's right, the they Harvey Girls. Stuff, yes. And a local guy had a rock shop and when he didn't want it anymore, he gave everything to the museum. There's oh, a wow. children's room full of, of kids' stuff, dolls and toys and all kinds of things that have just, all from, from the 18, early 1900s that have just been donated. A wonderful, wonderful museum. So there are three museums in the area mm -hmm. to, to keep your interest. And in the ghost town of Mugion, which is north of us, okay, in the summertime, on the weekends, they have a little mining museum that goes into oh. all of the stuff, the mining in Mugion. Um, Mugion Ghost Town is, um, it's about at about 8,000 feet and it's just a little like crevice of a town, okay, that at one time when the mining, when, when gold and silver mining was, was really going strong, had thousands and thousands of people living in it. When you see it, you just can't imagine having that many people. But it was miners wow. and brothels and it was a wild place. And now it's a ghost town with a few people that live there year round. Is that where the pie place is? Where's is that famous no, pie place? That's Pie Town, which is it's probably about three hours north. Pie well, town. good pie is worth traveling for. Well, I'm that's true. That is <laughs> true. But in Mugion in the summer on the weekends, okay, between mid-May through mid-October, they there there's a little restaurant called the Purple Onion, and they make all of their own stuff. You can get a real hamburger and a real milkshake and real homemade pies. Like, no, that's actually a big deal. When you say real, it, that's a big deal now. Yes, yes. And there's a a little craft shop, and then the mining museum. And it's a great it's it's a great um, place to go in the summertime because it's at eight thousand feet, so it's always cool. Nice. This is interesting, you know. Especially I know it's summer now, but. Um, to get out there and explore and have these kind of adventures. That's what I think. And then going back to a bed and breakfast or your guest house and everyone has their own casitas um, at your place, Becky, and you, you, you don't make breakfast. People have it in there. It, you, you've got, you've got supplies in your rooms, so you can That's leave right. it for in the morning um, over here at, at Shama. You guys are serving breakfast. Do you have museums for people to go to in Shama at all? Or does the depot itself have any kind of displays for people? There is a museum related to the railroad here okay, in Chama. And then, of course, when you get down near Abiku is uh, mm -hmm. Georgia O'Keeffe country. And so That's there's right. a Georgia O'Keeffe Museum down there. And then lots of museum Native American stuff down in uh, Santa Fe. Right. And the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum in Abiku is uh, just a little bit south of Ghost Ranch. 
which is a resort, uh, Presbyterian Church owns a ghost ranch. We actually had the chaplain for Ghost Ranch stay here last week on his way down uh, to do the summer uh, stays that are there. They have a, a kid week and an art week and a family week. And that's just about uh, an hour from Chama to even just spend a day down there. Oh, wow. Wow. I didn't know you were that close. Yeah, because you can't be that far from Bandelier National Monument then. No, Bandelier is is not far. It's okay. down kind of near Los Alamos. Okay, so yeah, because right. I remember and wanting to go to Los, Los Alamos. Los Alamos, there is the Museum of Nuclear Energy. Yeah. The Bradbury Museum is down there as well. Yeah. So there, there's lots of lots of stuff to see. And then there are hot springs over in Ojo Caliente uh, that people enjoy coming to when they come to, out here. You have hot springs near you, don't you, Becky? There are hot springs near us. Um, there are ones that are readily accessible and um, and and privately owned, but open to the public. Mm -hmm. And Faywood, just south of Silver City, and the Gila Hot Springs, which is up by the cliff dwellings. And then there are undeveloped hot springs, which are um, accessibility varies depending on the condition of the rivers. Okay, mm -hmm. if the rivers are running too high, you're not going to be doing those hot springs. Um, if they're like right now, they're running pretty low, so the hot springs are accessible. Um, so yeah, there's hot springs here too. Yeah. Wow. So anything else we've missed? What about food? What about dining? What What's Shama like for food? I want so, a hamburger now that she's talking about hamburgers and milkshakes. <laughs> I'm kind of like, I'm ready for that. <laughs> so we have a we have a restaurant at Foster's, and Foster's has been open since 1880. It's a real old west kind of a atmosphere. Yeah. Oh, fun. Genuine, fun genuine, fun. authentic old. Authentic, stuff. yes. Uh, oh. um, there's a barbecue place. There's a steakhouse. Uh, several places that serve breakfast, and then of course at the bed and breakfast we serve a gourmet breakfast that's included mm -hmm. in the price of your stay, mm -hmm. and it's a different meal every day. So that if you stay four or five days. You get mm. different homemade bread and, and frittatas wow. and bevos rancheros and but but Ooh. just on a on a six sense kind of thing, there are people who come up here specifically to uh visit places that are haunted. Now oh, our yeah. bed and breakfast is not haunted. It is not. But there are several buildings around here that are they are totally haunted. People oh, come cool. up to to come and visit the 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 spirits that are here and in addition you can't get six people who are uh local people who have grown up here who don't have a ufo story this is a ufo big, oh wow yeah yes this is big ufo country oh yeah. i love it see that's why so, i swear the ufos landed in chaco too like i really do believe that they must have they totally must have because so there's a, so perfectly circled i'm like how come on yeah <laughs> yeah so well, these one of the stories is that a UFO crashed over near Aztec in Mexico. Right. And they okay. put the remains of it on a train and it came across on the Rio Grande and spent the night in the roundhouse here in Chama on its way off to. So wait a minute. You could actually have ghost UFOs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Dude. Like, seriously, this is fun. But I. I mean, that's well, New Mexico, you've got Roswell, right? You've got all of that, yes, right? Right. Um, right. Becky, come on. 
I the did, casitas are, are new, so I know you guys built your own casitas, so those aren't going to be haunted. But no, you, you haunted. never know. But there are people that live down here who will swear that you have UFOs have landed in the area. Mm -hmm. So what, you know, what, what is the opera house in near Silver City? Tres Pinos? Up in Pinos Altos. Yeah, the opera Pinos house. Pinos Altos. The, that's the supposed to, I think that's haunted. I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. There's that, that interesting museum across the street from it. I don't yes. know if it's still there. Yes. I think the that's little, haunted. Yes. The Pinos Altos Museum is a really cool little, I forgot about that. That's a great little place. Yes. Yeah. I remember getting a vibe in there, just getting like, yeah. uh-uh, something's there. Doesn't yeah, mean it's true. Yeah. There's, you know, uh, you know it, it's, with any area, there's so much, so much going on within an area um, that, you know, just, it doesn't even make, it doesn't make guidebooks or anything. It's just, it's here and you have to stay in a place and, and be willing to explore. I mean, listening to John and Veronica, I want to go to Chama. Uh, me too. <laughs> me too. And, and then I want to go, up, yeah. I want to go to the graveyard and then have a hamburger before or after. I don't know which, but but this but this is this is the thing um about new mexico itself is like that i think new mexico itself it's the land of enchantment because it keeps drawing you back in and draw it is like the rabbit hole of states like it you just keep you know there's another story and another story and it you can't you guidebooks are never going to do it unless you get into every story and how do you do that as a publisher i know you you're going to write a book each time you know but it is about the adventure Going I would back say to that an inn is the same is the same thing. Like you're saying, people get to talk about what they saw that day, build on the adventure for the next day or even mid whatever, you know, versus going into a cold room and not talking to anybody and not saying, dude, I saw this. You're not going to believe it. I felt the presence of a UFO in the depot. And I know it's a ghost UFO. Who else is going to listen to that? Maybe your family or they'll just think you're whacked out. I don't know. <laughs> they, they do call New Mexico the land of enchantment. And mm -hmm. it is not for no reason. Mm -hmm. and, and if you're in the bed and breakfast community and you get that chance to get away from the Denny's and the Motel Sixes and the Best Westerns, you do find this whole other layer of stuff that if you're just zipping by in the interstate you don't realize is here exactly there's this tremendous depth of of history and story and scenery and and the, the bed and breakfasters are wonderful mm -hmm. they have come to find it and and it's out here i love it i love it well thank you all for joining us on the show today now we, we have to come back west man we're we're, we're close we're kind of close to recording this um Today we're close. <laughs> we're close-ish today. How far is Kansas City from New Mexico? Not too far. It's not bad. It's just a well. Kansas City is yeah. I can take a train. Missouri, so I can so take you got to get all the way across Kansas and most way across Colorado. But you yeah. can make it in a good long day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's close to us the way we travel. So definitely, I, everyone. Again, on NMBB. A.org is the website for the New Mexico Bed and Breakfast Association. We do this show every second Thursday. We talk about the inns, uh, you know, always a authentic, unique stay. As we talked about today, the innkeepers are a wealth of knowledge. I also go to casitasdehila.com. And that's to learn more about Becky and her husband's property. And they also have an art gallery on site. And um, so again, more uh, casita style uh, lodgings. And then also go to the Victorian Chama 
Facebook.com. So that's more of a Victorian Inn with breakfast. And of course, keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com. I will put the links to all the websites in the show notes. So whether you're watching on YouTube, listening on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever it is, the links are there so everyone can access easily. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having thank us. You, thank, thank, you. thank you for all your work. Yes, thank you. Uh, nice to meet you guys. Safe travels. Gracious hosts, unique lodging, and tasty cuisine. New Mexico bed and breakfasts are New Mexico true. Our innkeepers are as special as New Mexico, and we're sharing their stories. Read about them and plan your trip at nmbba.org.